This morning we are coming to the final study in the New Testament book of Acts. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me please to Acts chapter 19 as we are looking together and exploring together the first 10 verses of Acts 19. And you'll find it in page 1726, page 1726 of the church Bible. Last Sunday morning, if you remember, we were with the Apostle Paul when he visited Athens way back around the year 49 or 50 AD. And here we are this morning. Paul has moved from ancient Athens through Corinth and now he is in Ephesus. And so we're beginning Acts 19 at verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. The last few years have been difficult for communities across the nation. Wrestling with the ripple effects of the COVID pandemic, struggling to bring our children up to speed with their education. More recently, we've been wrestling with high gas prices, record inflation, shortage of workforce, But I have to say I am absolutely delighted this week when I discovered that the U.S. postal system came through. And according to the postal system, Paul's third letter to Corinth was delivered this week. And I think that's pretty clear from the image that we have. Now, of course, when we see something like that, we quite naturally smile. And rightly so, because it is odd to take something from the first century and then apply it to a 21st century cultural context. And it's often humorous. But that principle is one we follow each Sunday morning. We go back 2,000 years, open up and explore the scriptures together and we ask two or three questions. And often the first question is, how does this passage of scripture speak into my life? Secondly, what lessons are in this passage of Scripture that will help me live out my faith 
week by week? And thirdly, how does the scripture equip me to specifically respond to the issues I face, whether it be difficult circumstances or days of great blessing, but how does it equip me to live out and enjoy my faith, and more importantly, enjoy the love and grace of God itself as I seek to live out my faith day by day. That's exactly what we're going to do on this communion Sunday morning. And as we come to the Apostle Paul here in Ephesus, notice how verse 1 begins in chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now let's pause right there. Because here we have a passage telling us of Paul's route. And it tells us that he traveled from, well, let me look at it, there it is on the screen. He came from Athens and Corinth in the bottom left-hand side. And he goes up, follow the green line, he goes up towards Berea, Thessalonica, Amphopolis, Macedonia is the region, of course, over to Philippi and Neapolis, which then he took a boat to Troas. And then from Troas, he moved south through the interior of ancient Asia Minor to the city of Ephesus. And that was the route Paul took. Now, why am I highlighting that this morning, and why does it matter for us to see the route he took? It matters in this sense. Those kind of details would not be included in the book of Acts if, in fact, Luke had simply made it all up. But those are personal touches from Luke, who traveled with Paul on a regular basis. Luke doesn't tell us he was on this particular journey. He may have been. He simply doesn't tell us. But it's those personal touches that give credibility to all that is outlined in Acts. And having said all of that about the route Paul took, let's also focus on why he went to Ephesus. And Ephesus was a large, vibrant city, and it was prominent for several reasons. And the first factor involved was that of economics. It's situated at the mouth of the river Keister. Ephesus was the most favorable seaport in the province of Asia, the most important trade center west of Tarsus. Today, because of the and that should be silting of the river, the ruins of the city lie in a swamp five to seven miles inland. And so that naturally happens as time goes by. So number one, economics was a major issue for the city as it developed and grew. Secondly, its size. Although Pergamum, neighboring city, was the capital of the province of Asia in Roman times, Ephesus was the largest city in the province, having a population of approximately 300,000 people. And if you visit the ruins of ancient Ephesus today, it really is spectacular and well worth uh, visiting. In addition to that, culture played a role, as we mentioned last Sunday and explained. When we use that word, what do we mean? And Ephesus contained an outside theatre that seats 25,000. And again, you can go and see it and sit there today. I mean, thoroughfare was about 105 feet wide, ran through 
from the theatre to the harbour. The thoroughfare was flanked by rows of columns 50 feet deep, and behind the columns were baths, gymnasiums, and impressive buildings. It was a rich, cosmopolitan, busy, bustling city. And no wonder the Apostle Paul arrived there to share the love and grace of God. And then finally, it was also considered a religious center for this reason. The temple of Artemis, or to give her a Roman name, Diana, according to a Roman name at Ephesus, ranked as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Artemis was known variously as the moon goddess, the goddess of hunting, the patroness of young girls. It was a happening place for all of these reasons. And as the Apostle Paul gets there, he immediately asks, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And the question there is this, why is that so important? Well, come back with me in your minds to our first Sunday in this study, several months ago now, where we looked at Acts chapter 2, still in those opening chapters of the book of Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit And at that point, I used the rather, uh, what's the best way to put it, a contemporary phrase, I think is the best way to put it, and suggested that Acts chapter 2 was a game changer in the history of humanity. And why was it a game changer? It was for this reason. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would anoint or put his hand upon or walk beside an individual for a particular season, or while that individual carried out a particular task. There are a couple of exceptions to that, but for the most part, that was the way the Holy Spirit operated. But from Pentecost onward, the Holy Spirit came to indwell each person who responded to the love and grace of God. And it wasn't simply for the spiritual elite. It wasn't for what we would consider prophets, individuals who were closer to God than the rest of us, but for every single person who responded to his love. And on what we call Pentecost Sunday, what happened was this, that when the Holy Spirit impacted and transformed the life He enabled that individual to respond to the love and grace of God, take a step of faith, repent for their sins, then ask Christ to come and dwell within and allow that individual to grow and mature in their faith. And it wasn't simply from that point on that the Holy Spirit would walk beside you. It wasn't simply that he had an influence in your life, but it was so much greater than that. And it was greater than that in this sense. He would come to dwell within you, then grant you his enabling grace and strength to live out your faith day by day. So you weren't simply doing it in your own own strength and that's why it's a game changer that's why the church was born that first Pentecost Sunday that's why from the year zero through to today churches all over the world have vibrant 
maturing Christians who are following Christ day by day. And we see that uh, in this passage in the sense that Paul calls these folks disciples. But what kind of disciples were they? And we see as the passage unfolds, it's pretty clear. Do you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked then, what baptism do you receive? And he said, John's baptism. In other words, John the Baptist. And John's ministry was to call people to repentance in preparation for the coming of the Christ. And then Paul begins to explain who Jesus was to them. Explains that an intimate relationship with God was in fact possible. He explains to them the impact and power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within and then shapes and fashions us as he retunes our deepest affections and enables us to follow Christ day by day. And at that point, what we discover in the rest of the passage is clear. It's almost like a mini Pentecost. At that point, they are baptized, they believe in Christ, and the rest of their, uh, the rest of their days, they would, of course, seek to follow Him. And so we see this mini Pentecost, which happened, of course, downtown Jerusalem. We see it here again in Ephesus. And so the church is beginning to be shaped and its foundational roots go deep right here. Now, the other impact of the coming of the Holy Spirit was this, that the disciples also realized this. That they no longer simply had an emotional or intellectual response to all that Christ taught. Not only an emotional or intellectual response to all that he suffered at Calvary and all that he achieved for us, but now it was transformative. And so for those early disciples, it was in every sense a game changer the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now, you may be saying, okay, Richard, I kind of knew most of that, and none of that was unfamiliar to me. But my question this morning, Richard, is this. How does this passage, and you've talked in broad terms of the coming of the Holy Spirit and what that means, but how does it apply to me this morning on this Communion Sunday? What difference does it make? How does it equip me to live out my faith this week? Well, let me try and explain. And if you're asking that question, let me take your question a little deeper. Over these summer months, many of us will plan a vacation at the beach. And some of us will have parents and grandparents with us. It's the time of year when families get together and spend a few days at the beach together. Others will travel. Some will remain at home and enjoy time with their children off school. And my question is this. In the midst of these summer months, if you are on vacation, you're out of your normal routine and daily habits, Have you planned and prepared for a moment how you will grow in your faith between now and schools going back in the middle of August and we move into September and the summer comes to an actual end? Have you thought for a moment 
how you want to grow in your faith, how you want to mature, how you want to increase your time with God himself. Throughout Scripture, we are encouraged to nurture and nourish a relationship with God through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, the entire chapter is dominated right in that middle section by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it tells us this, that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes and prays for us. Especially in dark and difficult days when we don't know what to do and we're uncertain about the future and we're struggling and we are so hurt we don't know what to do. The passage tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us. And so the next time you're tempted to think that you're going through a challenging situation and there's major difficulties, you're uncertain what to do, please remember this. God himself is praying for you that you might be strengthened and equipped and upheld as you seek to live out your faith day by day. Now isn't that a thought? That God is praying for you. And what is he praying? He's praying that you might draw closer to him. Become more dependent on him. You might nourish and nurture that relationship with him. So that relationship and the living out of your faith day by day becomes credible, coherent, compelling, consistent. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's important when Scripture says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Live depending on Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But it takes place when you and I are willing to step forward and say, Father, I'm facing this situation or this situation. Equip and strengthen me to get through it, please. Let me give you a personal example, and I try not to do this too often, but it was appropriate because it happened probably the last couple of weeks. Several times I had noticed on websites and TV programs adverts for a particular series of TV programs on, I think it was Paramount Channel. And I saw little clips from it and trailers and I thought, oh, that would be interesting. And then it kind of drifted from my mind and I never actually got to see it. And then I discovered it had, it had been released about 18 months, two years ago. And then I discovered one channel who were broadcasting it again the entire first season. I thought, wow, I'll record that. So I recorded, I think it was either nine or eleven episodes thinking, over the summer, when I've got a few minutes, I will binge watch three or four episodes at a time. And it was set out in the wilds of Montana, close to Yellowstone National Park. And it was about a family and their ranching business. And I thought, oh, this will be great. So I settled down probably about 10 or 12 days ago to watch the first episode. And I got about three quarters of the way through and I could not watch anymore. The language was just awful. Some of the scenes were so gratuitous I simply couldn't watch them and I'll just leave it at that. 
But my response to watching this on the television screen was the thing that surprised me. I had been so looking forward to it. I had been so hyping myself up. I had come with a sense of expectation and anticipation. And as soon as I thought saw it, I thought, oh, that's disappointing. And then I tried in my own mind to justify it. I thought, well, I'll just fast forward through these bits. Starting to fast forward, I thought, it's nothing I haven't heard or seen before. It's no big deal. And right there, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit said, the Christian faith is not about how I can do an end run on my sin. It's not how can I learn to live with it. But a maturing, growing faith is about how do I live a credible, authentic, consistent, coherent life across every area of my life. And more than that, I want to do what is right. I want to seek after holiness. I want to be passionate about purity. I want to be more Christ-like. Not simply putting up with bad choices. Not simply learning to live with sin in my life. But to get rid of it. And to delight in the fact that I got rid of it. And to live for him day by day and rejoicing and delighting in it. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to get to work in us. And that's why Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Do you actually know Christ? Is he at work in your life? Are you maturing and growing in your faith? All of that was wrapped up in those early moments as Paul engaged with those disciples. And this morning, as we gather around this table, and we heard it in Claire's prayer, this is a morning when we reflect And give thanks for his body broken for us. His blood shed for us. But also to ask him to change us. To feed us as we participate in this sacrament spiritually. To strengthen us. To build us up. And for us to repent of the sins in our life that we seek to live with, that we seek to do an end run around. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, we read this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's what it means for the Holy Spirit to dwell within. And here was Ezekiel hundreds of years ago looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And I've shared this quote with you before, but it's worth highlighting again this morning. It comes from Donald Carson, a very fine New Testament scholar. And he said this, People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness. Prayer, obedience, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it 
tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. The call to Christian discipleship, to maturity and growing in your faith, is also that call of wanting holiness, of desiring purity, of seeking to live for Him day by day. And this morning, as we participate in this sacrament, our prayer is that He will indeed equip us, He will indeed strengthen us to live out our faith and delight in. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that on this Communion Sunday, We have been focused on the importance and impact of what it means to keep in step with your Holy Spirit. Father, work in us. Change us. Forgive us for those moments when we seek to accommodate the sin that tempts and seduces us and deceives us. Help us no longer to simply live with it, but to long for purity and holiness and righteousness. Father, bless us this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.